When we're not valuing our own journey, we're not valuing our own vessel. Valuing that entirety of our humanity, our weaknesses and our strengths, the beauty of you know who we are in this moment of time and not changing, not wanting to change that for anything. I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists looking for in-depth, career-accelerating conversations about all that's neat for clarinet. You can subscribe to the show and learn more at clarinet.com. On today's episode, I'm joined again by Dr. Nancy Williams, who is a clarinetist and leadership life coach. On the last episode, we talked a bit about classical music improvisation, but Nancy has so much else going on and her expertise is so broad that I wanted to get her back to talk a little bit more about what she does. Specifically today, we're going to focus on her coaching work and how you can beat imposter syndrome, say goodbye to overwhelm, and some strategies for getting back to busy after COVID-19. Before we get started today, I'd love to thank our sponsors and supporters for making the show possible, and you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to Clarinet wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and I hope that you enjoy today's show. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store, or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLARINET at checkout at legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. So back coming to us today again from Rapid City, South Dakota, is Dr. Nancy Williams. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me again. Such a pleasure. Yeah, we had so much fun chatting last week, and I knew it was more stuff than we could fit into one episode. So thank you for taking the time to come back here um, again today. And before we do get started, I just want to let the listeners know that they can check out all that you do at your website, which is drnancywilliams.com. And this episode, I think, is going to air, actually, while you're at Clarinet Fest, and I think you're presenting there. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about that off the start. I am. I, uh, so I, we talked about my book last time, uh, Woodwind Improvisatory Techniques of the Classical Era, which is a pedagogy method. And I basically condensed uh, that subject into a 20-minute lecture. <laughs> Um, So it's a very broad uh, introductory type thing, but, uh, you know, clarinetists missed out on the Baroque traditions of improvisation. And so I think it's a scary world for a lot of us uh, to to try and to teach. And so I'm hoping to bridge that gap and make it more accessible for my colleagues. And can people purchase your book on site there and get it signed and things like that? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I actually don't have a booth, but I am going to bring some uh, books along if if anyone's interested, and they can always order it off my website and Amazon as well. 
I, I did not. I hope everyone's not terribly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's ways to get it. And, you know, I, it's one of those things where Clarinet Fest has so much going on. So, you know, I know it's hard to fit in the various things, but do try to get to some of these seminars, too. Don't spend your whole time hanging out in the event hall and the restaurants and the bars and things like that. You yeah. know, well, go, well, go to you the know, sessions. I didn't want to be a commercial either. Like, this is yeah. an exchange of ideas. Yeah, totally. Um, and so they know where to find me if, if they want the book. Cool. Well, yeah, check that out if you're at Clarinet Fest, if you're lucky to go down there this year. Um, I haven't been since 2017. It's really crazy. But uh, my daughter's birthday now conf- conflicts with it every year. So it's been really kind of difficult to get down there, not to mention the COVID and the travel restrictions and all this crazy stuff. So it's just maybe one more year, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the impression it's a little smaller because of all of yeah. those type of challenges for everyone. But um, I, I don't, I don't mind that at all. The, when it's, uh, I remember when it was Orlando, in Orlando, and that was one of the bigger ones, I think, and it was a little overwhelming. There was a few too many people for me. I was there, actually. That one was huge. And uh, it was so funny because I remember at one point opening an elevator door to get on. And, and in there was Eddie Daniels, Richard Stoltzman, uh, Julian Bliss, and a couple other like famous clarinetists. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, in what other elevator in the world has this ever happened? Not least where a place in a place where someone cares. Like I'm so excited yeah. that all these people just got <laughs> off the elevator, and you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice when they're in uh, resort type areas like that where everyone's in that same area because it's amazing the type of networking that that you can do and the people that you meet and the just the weirdness that the wonderful weirdness that happens. Yeah, what are the odds of all the encounters that occur? Well, let's dive into you know some of the other stuff that you've been doing. It was so interesting talking to you last time, and we're going to get to learn more about what you do as far as the improvisation at Clarinet Fest. And uh, if you didn't check out the last episode, do head back and do that. But today, I really want to focus on some of the other stuff that you do because I think it's so important. Um, musicians tend not to worry enough about their, or maybe too much, about their mental health and um, their wellness. And I've heard this this whole term imposter syndrome over and over again, perhaps more so over the years. So at first, maybe let's just dive into a bit of like what is going on with musicians and how we can kind of improve our life and how you can help and uh, what is imposter syndrome and how we can beat it up. (laughs) So imposter syndrome is that feeling of being a fraud. Like even though you're completely capable, you have the feeling of being incapable and that your peers are on a different level than you are. Um, And a lot of people get it confused with uh, uh, just a lack of confidence, not to diminish lack of confidence because, you know, that can be pretty devastating. But imposter syndrome takes it another level further and it can be uh, incredibly debilitating when it comes to putting yourself out there and networking and marketing and even, even you know, performing our craft with uh, the love and abandon that we want to. Is it really a syndrome? Because that sounds pretty serious. I start to worry well, about myself when I... The, the word has been bandied about a lot. And in my experience with my colleagues and my own personal experience, there's... Uh, I do see it as a syndrome because it can be so debilitating. And that's why I differentiate between it and having like a crisis of confidence, because I think there is a line drawn there. And most most of the people that I have coached who have imposter syndrome, it stems from some type of professional situation that was really damaging to their psyche. So it really is a kind of like disorder kind of mental troubling in that way that can be, but can you work through it or how would someone start to approach this? Because I, 
I considered for a while, because um, I've experienced this in the past too, but I thought that everyone did and it was just sort of normal. But you, you talk to other people and it's not really. I think that some people experience it, some people don't, but it seems like more often than not they do. So like, to what extent is it kind of normal and to what extent does it become damaging enough to be sort of like this, this syndrome you talk about where you, we should really be looking at the causes and how to, how to improve it? Well, you know, anytime you have a lack of confidence, I think that's a, a normal human condition. Whenever I think of, uh, whenever I'm trying to qualify like what's normal human neurosis <laughs> and, and what's more than that, I, I think of being a child. Like, do children have confidence problems? Yes, at times, you know, but do they have imposter syndrome? Do children ever feel like a fraud? I think that's a whole different scenario that happens in one's professional life that uh, I think social media has made much worse. And, you know, the classical music industry is so highly competitive that, and so often individual voices are not lifted up in a way that that they should be, you know, there, there often is that tunnel vision as to the one way to success. And I think that puts extra pressure on uh, musicians that can cause them to feel much less than they really should. I mean, imposter syndrome is really being um, paralyzed in a way by that feeling of not just a lack of confidence or a crisis of confidence, but that you don't belong, that your voice doesn't matter, and that you're a perpetual failure. No matter what you do, you're not going to be good enough. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. So the fact that someone feels this way, why does that matter? What does that lead to in their life that's going to cause problems? Like, are they actually debilitated to the point where they will not perform or will not pursue opportunities? Or is it just that they need to kind of, you know, get over themselves? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I had one client who, um, and she was not a creative. I actually do coaching in the corporate world as well. But I had one client who um, changed careers. Because I can see two sides to the argument. Like one is, you know, we need to take this very seriously and try to make sure that everyone addresses this and deals with it and learns how to cope with it or move on or whatever. But the other side too, and I think this is maybe more of the classic teaching approach from days gone by, hopefully, but, you know, the kind of get over it, suck it up, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you think that this is related though? Like the world that our teachers grew up in was kind of more like harsh and to the point and they just got it done and didn't worry about this stuff. And now we're becoming kind of more sensitive to these, these things or? That's a really good question. I, I think there is a, a line between, you know, the old school approach, the no nonsense, you know, this is how it is and, and toughen up. And it's, it's some level, we like need a little bit of that as musicians. It's a tough industry and you can't be overtly sensitive to negative feedback and things like that. But my experience with uh, imposter syndrome and with the, the clients I've coached has not been that type of situation. It has been where they, you know, musicians are, can tend to be, uh, creatives can tend to be um, intuitively more sensitive anyway. But if you have that type of personality and you're put in a toxic work environment, say for example, your direct superior doesn't want you there, didn't hire you, makes you feel less than, or uh, the opposite is intimidated by you and tries to push you down. Like gaslighting is one of the common 
denominators in a lot of these cases where someone in a position of power is consciously or unconsciously trying to make you feel less than and selling you a version of yourself that you know inside is not true. And being subjected to that in a professional situation uh, is, is devastating, especially to those of us who are in the creative industry. It requires, you know, putting part of yourself out there in the world. And when someone's telling you that that part isn't good enough, and it, it's never going to be good enough. That's pretty debilitating. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people may have been told things by certain teachers or parents or whoever that might make them feel this way. But based on what you're describing, I find it interesting the, the mention of social media, because in a way, like social media is doing this to everybody. And it's really mentally unhealthy. And this is one of the reasons I have essentially quit Facebook is because I just got really overwhelmed by 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 everything about it and constantly seeing what everyone's up to and this like weird sense of constant connection and you don't feel like your life is busy enough but yet it's always too busy and then at the same time like you feel like you have so many friends but then you have no friends <laughs> it's like how can you have 5,000 friends on Facebook and I had this happen to me once I put down out a notice and I said hey I want to go to the car show this afternoon who wants to go anybody no one replied I'm like how is this possible I have 5,000 friends on here, <laughs> you know, and I know that a, a significant number of them are in Calgary. So, I mean, maybe not now that with the podcast and stuff, but I, I pretty much deleted it all because I was like, I'm just tired of this. And I've just kept up with people over text message and, and email. And I've been quite a bit happier to just focus on my day to day life. And, and I've actually noticed some of that kind of uh, what you're describing sort of dry up a little bit as I was focusing on myself and my own things, you know. And looking at my my own life and the, the, the pace of, of a normal life is not as fast as you see on an Instagram or a TikTok story. Yeah, yeah. And social media sets us up for that comparison mindset, which is especially damaging to someone who suffers from imposter syndrome. And the clients that find me actually don't find me on social media. It's usually through referral because they're not on social media because that component is just too toxic for them there's more and more people like that i think it's a healthy move honestly and uh you know i don't want to dissuade anyone who uses social media but i think that you'll find more and more that what's going on on there is completely mindless and senseless especially even for the creators i find i mean i've been told by some people that i've got to get on tiktok i've got to be doing this i've got to be doing instagram stories and all this stuff but like the honest truth and sorry for those who hope that i would do those things is i just don't care <laughs> And I, and like, I just, I look at these TikToks and I feel so bad for these people who are wasting their time making them because it's just like, it's so fleeting. It's so much effort. And it really just like makes everybody else kind of look at themselves too. And I think almost feel bad. Like it's just such a toxic, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old. Well, I, I completely understand where you're coming from and running my business is a little bit of a, a love hate situation with social media because it's, it's great for marketing and it's great for connections, but there is also that, you know, potentially damaging aspect to it that weighs your life down. What I will say is that um, with Clarinet Fest coming up, I'm looking forward to this one more than I have any other. And that is due in large part to the connections that I've made with my Clarinet colleagues around the world during the pandemic through social media. 
And so I think a lot of it is where you hang out, what you put in front of your face. And because there are pockets that uh, are incredibly collegial and uplifting and supportive. Um, and so, you know, as much as I often need a break from social media, I still, I, I think that just like with any tool, it can have great benefits depending on how you use it. Totally. I, I would agree with that. And I think that, um, you know, if I'm honest too, I must say that I, I took a bit of a social media fast, I'd say for like, I don't know, three to six months is what it was. And it was hard at first because I would like make a nice meal. And my first thought was to take a picture. And I'm like, this is not normal. You know, this is not <laughs> like, why would I think this way? You know? And so after I kind of took a break from it, I did decide to use it more productively not get involved in crazy debates and all this crazy stuff anymore. I'm like, it's just not worth the effort. So I think that it can kind of fit in, but I don't know. I still can't find it in me to like TikTok. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm no help there because I yeah, don't even, yeah, exactly. I don't even look at TikTok. But so. this sort of balance you're talking about. So is this the sort of thing, like just to get back to the imposter syndrome, like we've talked about some of the causes and some of the things that exacerbate it. And so social media makes it worse. It comes from maybe our past and history, but like, how do we deal with it? How do we move forward with it and and how does working with someone like yourself maybe make sense for someone to try and work through these these situations and, and concerns well coaching is not someone necessarily telling you what to do but helping you find in yourself what's the best thing for you to do so it really is a a community approach to problem solving and that really that getting in touch with that inner self and healing that self um, is one of the first steps. Yeah, this is something that I went through myself. And when I started my leadership coaching business, I, ironically, my first client had suffered this too. And I didn't, I didn't even know the word for it. She was the one who was like, I have imposter syndrome. And so in uh, understanding her journey, I was able to understand my own journey more. And how I had healed myself is really helpful to my clients. You know, having someone that identifies with that, who's also in the music industry, it can be really powerful. And to be able to take people from, you know, not even being able to get on social media, because it's so damaging to being able to celebrate people's wins on social media and not have that diminish their own wins or make them feel less than. Um, but you know, it's, it's more than social media. It's, it's about being able to get up in the morning and love and appreciate the journey that you have so much so that another person's success doesn't diminish your own. That is such an important point. And I went through that particularly, actually, because I had a, a roommate who now is a very rich person. <laughs> and he's, you know, posting pictures of his new Lamborghini and all this stuff. And it's like, you could feel kind of really intimidated by these things, or you could feel very inspired by it and be like, look, someone I know got to the point where they can buy a new Lamborghini. How cool is that? <laughs> you know, and feel feel kind of empowered and motivated by that instead of really kind of depressed <laughs> and uh, self-loathing or or, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very, it's a very different mindset. And, and one of my favorite phrases is, and this is a mindset shift for me too, but instead of always thinking, I have to, if you just think, I get to, 
it's completely different. And so even when my daughter was very young and I was like having trouble, you know, dealing with <laughs> all the things that go with like a one year old, it was like, I don't, I don't have to change diapers and do this and that I get to. And it's a very different perspective. And it really actually changes that moment in a lot of ways and not just looking after children, but like teaching or playing a gig you maybe don't like. You can find the opportunity in moments which are otherwise maybe more, um, what's the word? They seem just more normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, it changes the conversation. Um, uh, when, and, and when people are, are trying to compete with you, that's no longer something, you know, posturing isn't something that you feel the need to participate anymore. When someone's like, oh, I did this and this festival last summer. And, you know, the, the expectation is that you proffer up what you've, you know, been excelling at in the summer. But just to say, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that is just revolutionary in our industry. You know that? <laughs> You're right. It's so cutthroat and competitive. And uh, I really don't like that element of music. I find it very, um, very sad, actually, because music is such a, a, a thing that should bring people together. And it's also something that is so appreciated by so many. And I don't know that when I go to a music event, like a concert, I don't feel like I'm at a sporting event. Like I'm not against anyone there. It's not like two teams are playing like, oh, the Prokofiev is going to be so much better than the Rachmaninoff tonight. And, you know, I'll, I'll bet you 50 yeah. bucks it's yeah. going <laughs> to, uh, you know, there's going to be fewer wrong notes or like it's just this doesn't happen. Right. And that would be like a hockey game, maybe. But even then they find some camaraderie at the end, I suppose. But music, like everyone in the room is there together and you're either there enjoying a same band or piece that you like or whatever. Um, but you're never at odds in the moment. So why is it like that in the after hours, <laughs> you know, in, in the practice room? Yeah, well, that's the distinction between music itself and the music industry. Yes. Yeah. And the music industry can be quite damaging. Yeah. So I was really surprised how common imposter syndrome is. I mean, I, I know everyone has crisis of confidence. Anyway, I, I made up um, a, a guide. So if you don't mind, it, um, your audience can go to drnancywilliams.com forward slash subscribe. And that gives you access to that guide. And it also signs you up for my uh, weekly email list where I provide leadership tips and uh, words of inspiration. But, you know, if you just want the guide, there's a way to email me directly on that link and um, just request the guide or you can unsubscribe at any time. Can we do a preview? What's one of the tips now? <laughs> well, we've kind of already talked about that, which is is own your own journey. Realize the value of your individual life and how important and unique your voice is. And that comparison in, in, that, in that journey of life, uh, nothing can compare to you. I love that. That's so interesting. And it reminds me of that. Um, have you ever heard that, that fray or that parable or whatever it is where they have, uh, you know, they say, you know, you could wake up tomorrow and be whatever king you want or whatever person you want or whatever famous actor or whoever you want to be. If you push this red button here, you can wake up and be that person tomorrow. Or you can push the green button and you get to have all your memories and even the little things that, you know, frustrate you and your little family and whatever you have. Which one do you want? But if you push the red button, you lose all those memories, <laughs> oh, you know, Yeah. and no one would push the red button because even the little frustrations, the little things, you might not be famous or whatever, but you've got your own memories and they mean something. And when you look at it that way, 
it gives your life a totally different kind of frame. Yeah. And ultimately, uh, with my my clients who have experienced this, it ends up making their lives much richer, even though it's like a horrible thing to feel <laughs> and to recover from. When you're on the other side of it, it, you have so much more empathy and understanding and awareness for the humans around you and the value of your own gifts and in your own life's journey. Are there any strategies or, I mean, this maybe isn't the place to talk about this, but like dietary changes or supplements or things people can try to help with this type of thing? Or is it mostly you find a mental journey? Well, you know, we're, as human beings, a combination of a lot of things. So I do address uh, physical habits, eating habits, things like that, which have often kind of gone down by the wayside because we're not, when we're not valuing our own journey, we're not valuing our own vessel, you know? So it is more than a mental, it's emotional. It's often, you know, has a a spiritual context too. And it's, it's valuing that entirety of our humanity and our, our weaknesses and our strengths and the beauty of you know who we are in this moment of time and not changing not wanting to change that for anything which is kind of you know that whole button story let's get that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt seriously that's that's actually a very interesting point it's very true i think i think it's very true in a lot of senses and i think that you're right in the sense too that like when as someone is improving all these elements i bet they kind of improve at once like when you're feeling better about your music you're going to feel better about wanting to get up and go for a run in the morning or eat better food or take care of yourself, you know, when you can appreciate what it is that you kind of have to offer. I was wondering, and this is maybe a little off topic, but in the past, people had a more kind of clear journey in music. Like you'd get your music degree and you basically had a few options. Like you could become like a session player. You could play on like Broadway and do shows like that. You could go in an orchestra um, or you could become a teacher. And like, I think that things were a little more kind of clear cut and, and nowadays, or maybe be a band teacher or whatever. I mean, I know there's more options than that. I'm just saying that it, maybe it was a little more clear cut. And, and nowadays, there's the whole concept of like, you know, freelancing and you could be a YouTube star and you could be a TikTok maker or whatever. And I mean, there's like thousands of opportunities, none of which seem to have any training ability even like there was no training to become a podcaster for me. And this is how I've kind of found success. I mean, I never would have imagined that. So do you think that part of this imposter syndrome stems from the overwhelm of number of choices and the kind of analysis paralysis, if you will, of not knowing where to move forward in your career? I'm, you know, I'm not going to discount that. That hasn't been the experience with my clients. Okay. But maybe we can seg- segue into the overwhelm concept that you also deal with. Yeah. Now that um, does have something to do with imposter syndrome often, but you know, where we are in society right now, I think overwhelm is more the norm because of all the challenges of the past several years and just our bodies and our minds needing extra time and space and energy to process everything that's going on in in the world is causing kind of an overwhelm uh, pandemic of its own. Yeah. I I don't know if this is really true, but I read an article a while ago. I think it is. Um, I don't want to make speculation on here, though, about it. But I really think that a lot of people might be suffering from some kind of post-traumatic almost stress from all this. 
you know, and uh, me personally, I, I found that during the pandemic and arguably it's still going on. I mean, it seems like it's never ending, but I hated the isolation. I hated a lot about it. But one thing that I didn't realize I did appreciate at the time, now that things have come back to quote normal, is the pace of life slowed down a bit. And there was something nice about that, even though it was all horrible and, and there's a lot of, you know, pain and suffering going on and there was nothing to do. And But there was something about having less to do and more time to do it in that was actually kind of rewarding in a way and made me sort of wonder what it was like to live 100 years ago. You know what I mean? Do you find that that is, is really a common thing people are experiencing now? A- absolutely. In fact, um, at my state arts convention, it was really the first time all of us creatives had been together in years. And it was just such a celebration. The first day we were just, you know, high on the the socialization and seeing each other. It was a very powerful event. And the next day, (laughs) it was like we had stayed up late drinking for a week straight. (laughs) It was like everyone was exhausted. Just the amount of stimulus we were not used to. And so I I caution everyone to like, take this at your own pace. Recovery is an individual journey. And there's so much push for resilience and adapting. And uh, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but you know, in our lifetimes, what we've just gone through is nothing we were prepared for. And we're all gonna have different rates of recovering from this event. And so, you know, you don't, you don't have to change your pace of life if you don't want to. That's your choice. Or you can ease back into things as gently or as quickly as you feel is appropriate for you. Don't let society or your friends or other people dictate how quickly you need to live your life. I can see how this relates to the whole imposter syndrome, though, too, because I, I think a lot of people are like me in the sense where they kind of, I want to say shut down during the pandemic, but I had a lot going on as far as like family and, and, uh, and things like that. And I was not in a super creative, let's make an album mindset, you know, but a lot of people were. And I think that another level of this whole imposter syndrome thing can be that you look at those people and you somehow feel inadequate compared to them. It's like, well, so-and-so got a master's degree and recorded two album projects in the pandemic. Why didn't I, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I remember being, when the pandemic first hit, being part of an, some online summit or something, and someone's saying that, oh, Shakespeare wrote such and such, whatever Shakespeare wrote during the plague, you know? And I was like, I'm not Shakespeare. You know, no, don't put that you on don't me. compare me to that, That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, no, like, I have my own journey, and... I don't know what's going to happen. I went through periods of real stagnation where I was not creative and I learned not to beat myself up about that. I learned that was really common actually. And um, actually I just wrote a blog post on this on, on how, when, how, how to be kind to yourself when you're not being in a creative mood and some of the things that you can do to kind of jumpstart that if you want to, some of the things that are helpful that I found through writing my dissertation when I was feeling incredibly <laughs> uninspired with that, some, some tools and techniques that helped with that. Um, and it's imposter syndrome kind of exploded during this time because people had more time to sit with themselves and feel the feels 
And instead of pushing things down, you had time. You had time to not feel good about yourself and to realize how badly you felt about yourself. And I think that was a wake-up call for a lot of people who just wanted to change their lives at that point and, and not be a part of the story that was being told to them by other people. You know, it reminds me exactly of a book I recently read um, called How to Write One Song by the guy who sings for Wilco. What's his name? Jeff Tweedy. Um, so, so it's a book about songwriting, but uh, he talks a little bit about how he used to also feel, I think, a bit of this kind of when you're not creating, you're not fulfilling your need or whatever. But he talks about how, you know, it's important to do the things in life that lead to the creative spark because that's your life. So you can get the creative ideas from your life. But if you don't take the time living your life and only try to do the creative ideas, what creative ideas are you going to have? <laughs> yeah. I, I, how many people do we both know that spend way too much time in the practice room? And then when it comes to having something to say through your instrument or composing, you know, what, what do you have to say? What experiences do you have to draw on other than the time that you've spent in the practice room? Yeah. No, it's the time out of the house, looking at things, experiencing your friends, your family, your colleagues, everything that you do. I mean, I had a really weird experience the other morning. It made me realize how different, like you were saying, kids are. I was dropping my daughter off at daycare and it was pouring rain. And I was trying to run from the car to the daycare center. And she started crying and pulled me back to make me come stop. And I'm like, what are you trying to do? And she wanted to stop and smell a flower, even in the rain. And I just thought it was such an interesting moment because I was like, a kid will stop and be in totally miserable conditions to do something they want to do or experience something new just because. And adults are so focused on the bad and just getting to what getting to the better. They often just walk past nice things, you know? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful being around children in that respect to be reminded of that. So we talked about this whole sense of overwhelm and imposter syndrome and, and now sort of kind of coming out of COVID. But, um, you know, we, and we've talked a little bit, little bit about what someone can do if they are maybe sort of needing help with this. But um, is there something else that you would recommend as far as kind of following up, even as far as your, not just your coaching, but other sort of avenues to really improve this or some books you could recommend or some, some outlets as, like, as far as like building a community to try and uplift yourself or anything like that? In one of the, the best pieces of advice I feel like I can give is to start finding joy every day and reminding what makes you feel really joyful and connecting to that part of yourself and start to unpeel the layers to see where this came from. Because I haven't had a client yet where, where their imposter syndrome wasn't it didn't develop because of something that happened in their career that was mildly devastating that they never really fully addressed. How do people find that thing? Because like, I wonder if some people aren't really sure what it is right away. Well, figuring out when it started is a good thing. Looking back and, and you know, seeing his has if if it's been going on for a while people think often that this this is just how i am and i would um suggest that maybe they do some looking back and seeing you know when it was at its worst and maybe it wasn't always there um, maybe you always had some difficulty with comparison and possibly self-confidence but when did it when did it really get worse to the point where 
you felt like you didn't belong. So you try to kind of pinpoint that moment and unwind it from there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because undoubtedly there's something that happened in that point when you really started doubting yourself and when you when that little voice in your head of negative self-talk just really felt entitled to be a lot louder. Along the sense of the joy, are you familiar with the whole Marie Kondo? What's her book called? The Joy oh, of... Uh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The Joy of Something, but I, I remember reading that and um, actually, I took it quite seriously. Me and my wife, did, we did the whole house, got rid of a bunch of crap we didn't need and <laughs> tried to focus on just the things that you know, we wanted. But that's so hard because, I mean, you, you hold a pair of scissors and you're like, this doesn't necessarily spark joy, but I, I do need this. <laughs> so so um, it's kind of interesting that way. And, and uh, it only works to some level, I suppose. But I also found for me, and I wonder if people experience this too, but like, it's kind of hard to identify sometimes what joy even is like do you find people have to get back in touch with what joy feels like like I, I was unsure at first like okay I mean I have memories with this thing is that joy like I think I want to use this you know video game or read this book but I'm not sure like is that <laughs> what is joy like how do we pinpoint that for for me my own personal experience when I was at my lowest I had to remember what I used to like doing and that started my being able to to dig myself out of it. And I didn't feel it right away. Like it, it took a while to get back in touch with that part of myself because at, at that point in my career, spending time alone with my thoughts was very painful because my thoughts were not good thoughts. And so finding that outlet to connect myself to something bigger uh, was really key in changing that dynamic. I think that's, yeah, that's so important. And and you know what? I think that I was trying to kind of tie it back in a little bit to the clarinet here. And I was just thinking that some people listening today, I do hope that they got a lot of value out of this, but they might be wondering kind of how this relates directly to their clarinet playing or their career. But in a way, I think that this is exactly in related in relation to your career, because all these things that we're talking about today, it's not directly about the clarinet, but like these are what's holding you back from having the career that you want or playing the gigs that you want or you know I, I think that it musicians are so well versed in getting lessons and studying their material but when it comes to like the business their self-care all these different things like I think that we're seriously as a group really lacking in this area and as to kind of closing I was wondering if you could maybe comment on on why you think that is like why are other career paths like sports for example to mention that again I think they're more focused on all these things, um, mental health, wellness, and dietary needs. And Oh, yeah. We, well, first of all, we don't recognize the, the physical, how physically active a musician's body is, and especially a, a wind player. Like, that's a whole aspect of something coming from inside of us, making this cane vibrate. And it really is a, a physically demanding aspect. Um, and the, the industry, the music industry has a, a history of abuse in some cases, of being an unhealthy industry. And, you know, that's something also with the, the number of players versus the number of jobs, you know, and the way that people are funneled into believing that there's only like, a few career paths, which is just not true anymore. So I think that kind of lends itself to um, imposter syndrome, but but also 
the type of people that are drawn to playing music, you know, that have that sensitivity and awareness. And I, I'm reminded once of a performance of Brahms I heard by someone who is a very um, technical, rational player, made their decisions uh, not based on any type of intuition or humanity, connection with humanity. They were very much a schooled performer in that aspect. And when I heard Brahms, I did not recognize it. Hmm. I, was, I, I, I was shocked. So there's, in music, there's this human component that we have that isn't in a lot of other industries. That if you, if you don't connect to that, if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable and sing through your instrument, no matter how scholarly or, or, or learned you are, how much expertise you have, there's going to be an element that's missing. When you're totally right about this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's a propensity towards an unhealthy lifestyle or, or what, but like so many musicians think they need to live this sort of tortured life of, of Beethoven or like there's this whole in rock music, especially like if you're not dead in your late 20s, were you even a real rock star? Like <laughs> there's this sort of idea that if you live past 27, I mean, you didn't rock hard enough, <laughs> you know, and a lot of these people, Kurt Cobain, Ian Curtis, um, you know, you name it, they're all did horrible things to their body and ended up dead years, years earlier than they should have. And we somehow celebrate that almost. Yeah. Yeah. The, the tortured artist. Yeah. It's weird. Junk is cause that's the nicest word I, I can think for it. Um, but if you had a life to choose, would that be it again? The comparison to this ideal we have, what's, what's your ideal? What's your vision of success for you? What kind of life do you live? If you had to choose it, do you want to have this tortured existence? Yeah, it doesn't sound that great, does it? <laughs> when you put it that way. I think that this is a great point to wrap up. We did the lightning round last time, but I actually have found, uh, I did a big Google search for lightning round question ideas. And there's actually like 200 questions on this page. So I'm going to grab a few of those and uh Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I wasn't, I wasn't very good at the deciding what's your favorite book thing or favorite <laughs> music. Because I'm like, whatever's in front of me. We'll try to do some different ones. I'm going to pick about five or 10 of them at random here and uh, we'll go from there. But uh that is, uh, <laughs> that's the first time I've done that, but I might incorporate that some more because you know what? I find some of the best lightning round questions are actually the, the weirdest ones sometimes. I find I get interesting answers like uh, Richie Hawley once told me a story about uh, how he sat behind Michael Jackson at a concert or something like that and <laughs> really weird, interesting stuff. So anyway, at this point, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of the free platforms, the episode will end here, but you can get access to the extended ad-free Clarinet Gold Edition at clarinet.com slash join. And you can get a free 30-day trial with code TRIGOLD at checkout. Thank you so much again for listening to the podcast today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd like to, of course, thank our sponsors and all the supporters for making the show possible. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast. And if you're coming on to the lightning round, I look forward to seeing you there. Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q Series or Protege clarinet risk free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. 
Imagine a reed that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. The European cut reed is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store. Or you can now save 10% on your Legere reads with code CLARENEAT at checkout at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot -E com.